Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, April 20th, 2020, and today we are continuing our study on the book Plain Theology for Plain People. And today, specifically, we're going to look at chapter 8, which is the Christian church. And so as we look at this chapter on the church, what an incredible relevant reminder of the beauty of the local church during this time of social distancing. May we be reminded of the importance of the gathering of the saints, the body of Christ, and all of the functions of the local church. You see, even in a day and a generation where people look at the church as a gathering of sinful hypocrites, they miss only one descriptive term, and that's that we are not just sinful hypocrites, we are the redeemed sinful hypocrites. But just like our families are messy because they are made of people, so are our churches. However, just as family is the foundation to who we are, the church is the foundation to the Christ follower. And Charles Octavius Booth looks at just this five key aspects of the church. First, he looks at the meaning of the word church. Second, he looks at the members of a church of the church of Christ. Third, he looks at the officers of a church. Fourth, he looks at the work of the church. And then fifth, he looks at the discipline of the church. Well, I would suggest that we would study all of these systematic methods of looking at the bride of Christ, the local church. For our purposes today, I only want us to look at the two overarching themes from this chapter and from God's word on the body of Christ. The first being is the beauty of the church, the beauty of the body of Christ. But second would be the abundantly important work at the, of the church. So first, we look at the beauty of the church. With Scripture as his reference point, Booth uses two overarching definitions of church. First, it's the whole family of the redeemed of all ages. This is literally, is like the extended family of God stretching back to Abraham and going on until and through the lineage of Christ and until through us, until he brings his entire family home. So one of the, the ways to see the local church is the whole family of the redeemed of all ages. But the second way to look at this word church is the littering, literal gathering places of Christ's family. This is not a denomination, but literally the homes, the buildings, the gathering places of God's family. Just like families spread out and have different dwelling places, kids move off, grandkids move off, and our family is located in lots of different locations. In the same way, when we see the word church, it's not only the whole family of the redeemed of all ages, it can also mean the literal gathering places of Christ's family. And no matter the definition used, the word shows us that the church is matchlessly beautiful. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32. And usually this, these are verses we pull out to, to, to look at marriage ceremonies or to counsel husbands and wives or to, to, to help charge husbands to love their wives. But the mystery of this passage is it's Christ and the church. So as we read this passage, usually, uh, usually expounded and, and, ex, you know, and, and looked at, 
for husbands and wives. We're going to look at it today as the church, the, the underlining meaning that this is the church. So starting in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is, is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. What? Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So let's look at five things we see about the beauty of the church from this passage. First, Christ loved us before we were attractive. Notice the flow of this verse. Christ loved the church before he gave himself up for her, before he made us beautiful, before he made the church beautiful, he loved her. And this flies so far in, in the, the love stories we see today. Usually a man loves a woman because of his, her beauty or because of something that attracts him to her. But look again at verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says he sanctifies her. He cleanses her with the word. He presents her in splendor. He takes away from her spot or wrinkle that will make her holy. He removes every blemish. Oh, this reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 16. And let's look there. Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 1, going to verse 14. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. When I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood live. I said to you, in your blood live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair, ha hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were of the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with the ornaments and put bracelets on your wrist and chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were 
were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect, though the splendor that I bestowed on you declares the Lord. How beautiful is the love of God for his people. This is the love by which he loves us. God so loved us that he gave his only son that we would not perish, but have everlasting life. Which brings us to the second thing that we see from this passage about the beauty of the church. And that is that Christ gave himself up for the church. Christ gave himself up for the church. That's why in verse 25, it says clearly, husbands love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and did what? He gave himself up for her. In other words, not only did Jesus die for an unworthy people, but he died for a people who found him repugnant and had no intention of finding him. Oh, beloved, not that there was anything in us because of his extravagant and rich grace. He gave himself up for us. Oh, while we were warring against him, while we were kicking up against him, while we found him repugnant, and while we had no intention on finding him, oh, beloved, not only did he seek us out, but he gave himself up for us. Christ gave himself up for the church, and that is why the church is so exceedingly beautiful. But then the third thing we see from this passage about the beauty of the church is that Christ cleansed the church from the guilt of sin. Verse 26, it says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is not the most flattering picture of our union with Christ. Imagine that a bride comes adorned in her beauty, just as the groom to say, hey, you're a little dirty. Let me bathe you. Imagine a wife, a bride coming down to her groom just to be told that she is filthy and that she needs to be bathed. But while this is unflattering, we were so repulsive in our sin and in indignation that it is the picture of the breathtaking love of God that he cleanses us. He makes us holy and presentable. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's why, again, we see in Ezekiel chapter 16, the, the way that, that God finds us. We're bloodied in a field, right? On the day that we were born, our cord was not even washed uh, or was not even cut. We were not washed with water, nor were we rubbed with salt, nor waddled in swaddling clothes. Verse 5, no, I pitied you and no one had compassion for you. You were cast out in open field for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. Hope oh, at verse eight, what happens when Jesus, when God passes by again and he sees us, oh, he spreads the corner of his garment over us. He covers our nakedness. And then what does he do? Verse nine, he bathes us with water and he washes off our blood and anoints us with oil. This is the beauty of the church we are found cast out, bloody, dirty, and as good as dead. But Jesus walks by. He stops. He looks at this disgusting, filthy thing, as good as dead, and covered with blood, and says, At last, 
my wife, my beloved, my chosen one. And he looks at the church and he looks at us and he says, live. Oh, (laughs) the church is abundantly beauty because Jesus the Christ has cleansed us from guilt and sin. The fourth thing we see about the beauty of the church is that we are made holy and presented to the Father. Verses 29 and 30 reminds us that no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. What just as Christ does the church? (laughs) Because we are members of his body. In the same way, Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church because she is a part of his body. We are now holy as he is holy. And Jesus presents us to the Father. Ephesians 5 is the beautiful illustration of the reality that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, when he says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Beloved, it is beautiful and necessary to be a member of the church. Oh, beloved, we the body is beautiful because we are made holy through the blood of Christ and we are presented to the Father. Christ nourishes us. He cherishes us. He sanctifies us and he makes us holy. A couple of weeks ago on Easter, I had the privilege to see a glimpse into our siblings in China, India, Uganda, and Latin America worshiping the risen Christ. How sweet to know that on that day, as on every day, that we are all united as the church of Jesus Christ. And it makes it beautiful that our family members are scattered and spread on different continents and in different nations and in different cities and in different municipalities. Our family is scattered because of the beauty of the church. We have more in common with those believers worshiping in China or India or, or Uganda or Latin America than we do our biological family members that are apart from Christ. Oh, The body of Christ is exceedingly beautiful. But the second overarching theme that we see from this chapter is that the the abundantly important work of the church is necessary. The abundantly important work of the church is necessary. And the first work of the church that we see is equipping the saints for the work of the gospel. Paul writing to the church at Rome reminded them with firm reminder that the gospel was to be spread, preached, and was to go to the uttermost parts of the world. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourself are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power 
of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. After rising from the dead, but before ascending to the Father, Jesus tells the very first members of his church in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49, and he said to them, thus it is written that the church, that, I mean, sorry, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Oh, our first and highest mission as the body of Christ is to equip the saints for the work of the gospel. And Charles Octavius Booth, he says this in chapter 8, Over the ocean way, far, far away, there the poor heathen live, waiting for day, groping in ignorance, dark as the night, no blessed Bible to give them the light. Pity them, pity them, Christian at home, haste with the bread of life, hasten to come. The messengers of Christ in large number should be called by the church to go into the heathen, as did Paul and Barnabas, Galatians 2, 9. And all that may be necessary to bring them on their way should be cheerfully supplied. Our highest and first mission as the body of Christ is to equip the saints for the work of the gospel. But then the second work of the church is to sharpen one another towards holiness in Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Paul tells the church at Galatia, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. O oh, beloved, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Let us so love our brothers and sisters that we are willing to sharpen them, confront them, and point one another to Christ. As members of the body of Christ, I pray that we would be sharpening one another, not just for the task of our mission, but for our conformity in Christ. Let us so love one another that we aren't afraid to confront one another in love. You see, the church is beautiful and her work is abundantly important. And so let us not forsake gathering together, even in the midst of a pandemic, because the church is our family. The church is our gathering place of our family, and it is utterly important. It's utterly important now in the midst of a pandemic, and it's utterly important on the other side of this pandemic, because Christ died for the church. Well, thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Uganda. We're praying for the government, for God to reveal himself to judges, probation office panels, and for those who are making decisions regarding orphan care. We're praying for the church, for God to strengthen Ugandan families and, and grow more desire to, to care for orphans. And we're praying for sound doctrine and for the church to thrive. We're praying for pastors in Uganda for pastors that are in and around specifically Busega, Uganda, and specifically for our church partner, King Jesus Church, and Pastor Raphael as he leads their church. We're praying for the mobs family in Uganda as they are currently serving in Gulu and serving many orphan and vulnerable and vulnerable families. 
We're also praying for our orphanage partners, for God's providence and protection in the homes that we work with. We're praying for the directors, the nannies and the children, specifically Miriam and Gerald, Matthew and Jethro. We're praying for Sunrise Baby Home and for birth families that poverty or special needs would not be a reason to abandon or place a child. We're praying for Isaac, our attorney. We're praying for his health and spiritual well-being and for discernment and stamina. We're praying for families in and throughout Uganda, foster families and domestic adoptive families. We're also praying for a particular missionary family who is currently in Uganda waiting on a court date ruling. We're praying for Pastor Raphael's wife, Alan, and for his family and for protection, rest, and good family time as they minister to the community. We're praying for the kids at the Busega School for the Deaf and the Blind as they are sheltering in place currently. Pray that they will receive proper food and water. Pray that the pastors and church leaders that attended the September conference will begin to minister to orphans and vulnerable children in their communities. Pray that the, the school, once it's able to open back up, would continue and that it will continue the vocational education. Pray for continued financial provision for our projects, the Big Pro- Brick Project and the Land Development Project. We praise the Lord for all that he is doing in Uganda. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for my brother by another mother, Pastor Raphael Kajubi. I pray that you would uh, just be with him and, and lead him and guide him, direct him. Father, that you give him wisdom, that you would give him stamina, that you give him precious time with his family. God, I pray you would use him for your great glory. God, I pray that you would be with him during this trying time of quarantine to minister to the church that gathers there at King Jesus Church. I pray that you would help him to find creative ways in order to get the gospel out throughout the community during this time. I pray that you would continue to use him to equip other pastors in and around Busega and in and throughout the country to make the gospel known to orphan and vulnerable children and vulnerable families. God, we pray specifically in Busega that you would push back this false religion of Islam and that you would bring forth a revival that people would turn from their wicked ways and turn to Christ. God, we pray that you would slay the prosperity gospel that has plagued Uganda. And Lord, that you would return it with a true gospel, a gospel that is rooted and grounded in you, that's rooted and grounded in your grace and your mercy. Not that we're living our best life now, but that our best life has been deferred when we can reign with you in heaven. Oh God, when you're reigning in heaven, when you're reigning on the new earth, and Lord God, we are with you in your reign. God, we, we pray for our orphanage partners, for, for Sunrise and, and, uh, and Miriam and, and Gerald, uh, who are at Africa Renewal Ministries and Bethany Baby Home, and God, for the, 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 the caregivers that are caring for these children. God, we pray for the precious believers in this country, that you would empower them, that you would embolden them, and that you would use them, God to make your gospel known during a very trying time in this nation. Lord, be with the children that we are able to serve through the Busega School for the Deaf and the Blind. Lord, I pray they'd get the sustenance they need while they are sheltered in place. God, I pray that you would watch over them, that you would bless them, that you would keep them, you'd make your face shine upon them, and that you would ultimately preserve them in your love. It's in your name that we pray, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. 
Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.